John chapter number 9. John chapter 9. We were here a couple weeks ago, and last week we, uh, we did a prayer service um, in between these, this lesson here. But John chapter 9, we're going to kind of do a super fast review and then get into the new material. But uh, John chapter number 9, in verse number 1, it says, As Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his, his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. And then Jesus says this, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And just as Jesus says that about himself, uh, I think all of us would be wise to uh, have that same motto in our own lives. I must work the works of him that sent me. Uh, the Lord has sent us to do, uh, um, fulfill a mission and, and uh, a purpose to, to, to fulfill. And, and uh, it is day, we're working, we're able to work, but the night's coming when we're not going to be able to work anymore. Uh, I've shared with you that uh, many, uh, most uh, Sunday mornings, uh, weather permitting, uh, on my way in, I usually stop at a park and uh, make a big long lap around the park. It's off of 4th Street. Um, can't remember the name. Little River uh, Park, I think is the name of it. It's right there by 7-Eleven. Uh, uh, and I usually go in there and walk around the big long lap. And, and uh, I walk right next to a cemetery along that uh, particular loop. And uh, that cemetery is a reminder to me that one day, I'm no longer going to be able to do what I'm doing right now. Uh, one day, I'm not going to be able to witness. One day, I'm not going to uh, be able to preach. One day, I'm not going to be able to uh, do the works of Him that sent me. Um, but I am right now. I can do this while it is day. And uh, just the same is true for me. It's true for you. Uh, one day, we're going to be, uh, should the Lord tarry in His coming, uh, we're going to be underground and no longer able to do the works of the Lord. And, uh, but we are able to right now. And so, um, and I kind of got off on that, but he, here's the deal. Uh, Jesus was faithful to fulfill the works of God while he was here on this earth. And then uh, after he was taken away, uh, it's not like he's not doing anything right now. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But uh, first, let's look here as we walk down through this outline. And again, for those who are here, this is all review. But um, number one, we looked at the purpose of Jesus Christ. What was his purpose in coming? First, he came to submit to his Father's will. And uh, as we look at the purpose of Christ, we need to understand that that's our purpose as well. Uh, at least that ought to be. Uh, we ought to also submit to our Heavenly Father's will for our lives, that we ought not to just go and say, well, hey, I'm glad I got my ticket to heaven. I'm going to go do my own thing now. Uh, no, uh, we are going to fulfill and submit ourselves to the Father's will. And uh, Jesus over and over talked about how he was going to do this. Uh, verse, John chapter 4 and verse 34, I'll just give you one verse here. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. So he came to submit to the will of the Father. 
and uh, so many other verses we looked at last time, but we'll move on. He also came, number two, to satisfy the law. And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse number 17, he, uh, didn't, he didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law and to satisfy it. And uh, he fulfilled and satisfied the shadows of the law. Remember those, the tabernacle and uh, all the different parts of the tabernacle all pointed to one day the Messiah and Jesus Christ came and fulfilled all of those shadows that the uh, Old Testament pointed to. And Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 17, Paul said to this, to the Colossians, he said, uh, which are a shadow of things to come, but the bodies of Christ. So he was talking about the Old Testament uh, dietary laws and, the, and the, the, the special days. And those were all pointing to the fact that the Messiah would come and fulfill all of those. And Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that. All the prophecies about the coming Messiah, Jesus was the complete and total fulfillment and satisfaction of all of them. And he was in complete obedience to every aspect of the law as well. All right? Uh, so he came to satisfy the law. He also came to seek and to save that which was lost. And uh, we looked at that in Luke chapter 19 as he uh, ministered to uh, a, a man who had robbed people and fleeced them of their uh, possessions. But uh, God had worked in his life, and uh, he realized that he... He had everything you could want. I mean, he had title, he had uh, a bunch of money, but he was missing something. And that's why he went looking for Jesus. And, and uh, yes, he went up into the tree for the Lord he wanted to see. All right. So we just had to throw that in there. But uh, Jesus did come to seek and to save, and I'm glad that he did. Um, we love him because he first loved us. And this idea of him coming to seek and to save that which was lost is a proof that we weren't looking for him. He came looking for us. And uh, just again, another just mind-blowing aspect of his love and grace. <coughs> Excuse me. So um, Jesus came to seek and to save, and, and, and really that is our purpose as well. Now, we can't save anybody, but we ought to be looking for those who need to be saved. And we ought to be constantly looking at folks, not with the, uh, you know, hey, you don't really look like me, so I'm going to judge you. No, looking at people like, hey, you're going to spend eternity somewhere, and I wonder if this person knows the Lord or not. That's how we should be looking at folks. So Jesus came to seek and to save. He also came to serve and to sacrifice. Mark 10, 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if there were, and I mentioned this, if there was ever anyone who deserved to be served, it was the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's not why he came. He came to serve. And uh, we see this in, in, in how he performed all the miracles and how he blessed people and helped people and, and uh, fed people. And then he also, uh, there in the upper room with the disciples, got down on his knees and uh, girded himself with the towel and, and got a basin of water and began to wash the disciples' feet as a servant, giving us an example to follow uh, and do the same ourselves. So Jesus came to serve and to sacrifice. And of course, the greatest act of service was when he laid down his life on the cross so that we could be saved. So we looked at the purpose of Christ, and as we see His purpose, we see our own purpose as well. Then we also looked at the passion of Christ. 
the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth for the reason to give his life as a sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And in the book of Acts, we see that, that was ref uh, his passion is a reference to what he did for us on the cross. Uh, we saw first that his passion was promised. See, thousands of years before it ever happened, the suffering and sacrifice of Jesus uh, was promised. We looked at Psalm 22. We looked at Psalm, Isaiah 53 and, and those passages that pointed to when Jesus would suffer and die on the cross of Calvary for us. His passion was promised. His passion, we saw, was also very painful. It was painful mentally as Jesus was realizing what he was about to do. Of course, he being God, knowing all that he was about to endure, said, hey, please let this cup pass from me. Instead, he said, though, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And uh, he was in such agony that the Bible says he prayed uh, more earnestly and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. It was painful mentally, it was painful physically. Uh, the amount of physical pain that he endured there on the cross, and even before he was on the cross, through the scourging, through the crown of thorns, through people uh, ripping out his beard and hitting him, and, and uh, just all that he had to deal with on that was immense. So it was painful physically, but then... Uh, in my, in my opinion, and I don't think it's very off base at all, it was the, the, the most painful aspect of the cross was the spiritual aspect. And how uh, he became our sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul said, For he, God the Father, hath made him, Jesus Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And, and when... When, when, when it was high noon and, and uh, it was supposed to be the brightest the sun was, well, at that point, the Bible records how uh, there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour, indicating that God the Father turned his back on God the Son. Now, <clears throat> I don't understand all the aspects of that, uh, but I do know that that's when God, um, that's when the Lord Jesus became our sin and, and, and God the Father could no longer look at his son um, because he was taking on the wrath of God for us there on that cross. And, and so anyway, it was painful. It was painful. And uh, so his passion was promised. It was painful, but it was, praise the Lord, it was providing his sacrifice, death on the cross, was not in vain. It actually accomplished several things. It, it provided substitution. It, it provided propitiation. It provided forgiveness. It provided us justification. It provided us redemption. And uh, I'm so thankful that it did all of those things. Okay, so we looked at the purpose of Christ. We looked at the passion of Christ. And we talked about the power of Jesus Christ. And this was best displayed on, not on the cross per se, but three days later when up from the grave he arose. And uh, we looked at the power of Jesus Christ and, and uh, we mentioned uh, some of the uh, proofs of his resurrection. We talked about the empty tomb and the grave clothes there in the, in the tomb. <clears throat> and uh, we talked uh, last Sunday night about what those grave clothes mean that we ought not to be walking around wearing grave clothes as believers. Uh, we need to cast those aside and put those off. The empty tomb is proof that 
Jesus Christ literally rose from the grave because you can go to any other tomb and find the bones, but you go to the tomb of Jesus Christ, you're not going to find him. So the empty tomb, uh, the eyewitnesses, we talked about how he was seen, he was seen, he was seen, he was seen by all these different people, including 500 uh, different people that Paul referenced. And so the eyewitnesses were proof. Exhibit C, we said that the extreme change of the disciples, those who um, followed him and, and, and struggled with some things, I think of Peter and I think of even John, who struggled with some things. And then uh, after the resurrection, I mean, there was a complete 180 degree change in their life. Uh, Peter went from a disciple who denied the Lord to a disciple who declared the Lord. John went from a man who had total contempt for the Samaritans and to a man who had total compassion for them. What made the change? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then the existence of the church and the change of the day of worship. Um, now that we meet on Sunday, and this has been like this since the resurrection, uh, believers have been gathering on Sundays, on the first day of the week, to commemorate and celebrate the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Okay. I think we kind of covered, and that was our review. So thanks for hanging with me on that. I want to get to some new material here. Number four, the promise of Jesus Christ. So while he was here on this earth, Jesus made a tremendous promise, and it's found in John chapter 14. I'd like to encourage you to turn over there, John chapter 14. Um, you all know this. But uh, I just want to remind us tonight, doing a little synopsis of uh, Christology here and, and learning a little bit about Jesus Christ and his life. He gave a promise of what he was going to do. John chapter 14, let not your heart be troubled. Boy, that's a good thing for us to kind of just stop there and say, you know, in our world, we need to he hear that a little bit. Let not your heart be troubled. As believers... We don't need to get troubled. We don't need to be anxious. We don't need to be worried. We don't need to be uh, biting our fingernails going, oh, what's going to happen? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. And here's part of his promise here. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. That's his promise. And when I come again, I'm going to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So he promised that he was coming back for us. That's his promise. And it's as good as done. It just simply hasn't happened yet, but it will. Um, you say, well, okay, show me another place in the Bible where it talks about the return of Jesus Christ. Don't mind if I do. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. I just want you to be familiar with these passages. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. This kind of goes a little bit along with what we're talking about in our Sunday school class. For those in the Cornerstone Couples class, best class in the church, just saying. Uh, not that I'm biased or anything, but uh, how come everybody's clearing their throats right now? I'm not sure. So... <clears throat> forgot my class. All right. First Thessalonians chapter number four, verse number 13. Paul says this, 
to the church there, to the believers in Thessalonica. He says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. These are those, these are believers who had died. Uh, and he says this, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. I mean, it's okay to sorrow, but, but don't sorrow as those who have no hope. In verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do we all believe that tonight? Amen. Even so then, them also which sleep in Jesus, will God bring with him? For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall, here's that promise word there, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. It doesn't say, then we which are alive and remain might be caught up together with them in the clouds. Do you see the word shall? It's a promise. Shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And here's that word again. So shall we ever be with the Lord. And verse number 18 says, comfort one another with these words. It is comforting to know that, look, one day the Lord is going to come and rapture us out of here. Now, the word rapture is not in the Bible. But the concept is that he comes and, and, and brings us out of here. And um, it could happen at any moment. Okay, so 1 Thessalonians 4 is, is one passage. There's a couple others. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. At the end of that chapter, it says <clears throat> in verse number 51. He says, Behold... I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. It's a great verse for a nursery, a baby nursery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Uh, but but you see the word shall is mentioned twice in that, in that verse. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the, dead, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to uh, pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that truth, verse 58 is here. Because of all of that, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, our theme for Cornerstone Baptist Church this year is the word what? Thank you. Just checking. Because um, I realize it's September and it's been a while since we've, you know, talked about it. I try to talk about it as much as I can. But, but one of the reasons we are to continue and to be faithful and to be steadfast and unmovable is because he's coming back for us. And we don't want to be sitting on the, sitting on the sideline where when he comes back going, well, I'm taking a break. It's just really tiring. 
Now, I understand that sometimes we do need to rest, and I, I get that, but, but we need to be faithful and, uh, and not, uh, not, not out of our place. We need to be in our place, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Um, and so let's stay faithful. Let's comfort one another. Let's stay faithful. And then Titus chapter number 2 is uh, one, one more. We'll, we'll do two more, and then we'll move on to the next thought here. But uh, Titus chapter number 2 and verse number 13. Titus. It's after Genesis, right? Hopefully. Okay. Titus chapter 2, verse number 13. Paul says to this pastor named Titus, he says, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we are to be looking for His return. We're to be expecting it, anticipating it, looking for it. I mean, honestly, you know, while no one knows the day or the hour, we're going to kind of talk a little bit about that on Sunday morning, uh, the next couple Sunday mornings. But while we may not know, we, we should just kind of have, you know, kind of again, just every once in a while be glancing up like, good day for the Lord to come back. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. And, uh, and by the way, this verse number 13 is another proof of the deity of Jesus Christ. Looking for that blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is not just a man. Here it mentions that He is God, capital G. He is the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, so Titus chapter 2, verse 13 is one more. How about one more? Uh, last one that I'll, get, I'll share tonight, and that is uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 28. 1 John 2, 28. He promised he's coming back. And uh, he wasn't the only one who uh, taught that. Paul taught it. And now here, the apostle John taught it as well in his writings. In 1 John 2, in verse number 28, he says this, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he... What's this next word again? Shall. I mean, it's not, again, when He might appear, when He shall appear. It's a promise. It's happening. When He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. So, He's coming back. What is He going to find you doing? Is He going to find you being faithful, steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord? Or is He going to find you kind of going, well, I just needed a little me time. Again, I know we need breaks here and there. Uh, but, I mean, I want the Lord finding me. I, I'd love it for Him to come while I'm preaching, you know. And notice, secondly, gone. <laughs> or, hey, open your Bibles, too, and then poof, we're out of here. That'd be great. I'd love it. Um, I, I'd rather Him do that than me kind of just doing what, something I shouldn't be doing, right? Um, so I want to just encourage us to be faithful and to occupy until He comes, because He is coming back. He is coming back. So, the promise of Jesus Christ. And then let's talk number five here tonight, and let's wrap this up with the present of Jesus Christ. What is He doing now? 
Well, he's in heaven. We know that's where he is. But he's not just up in heaven doing nothing. What is he doing for us? Let's look at it very quickly tonight. First of all, he is interceding for us. He has a ministry that he is interceding for us. A couple references here, uh, Romans 8, 34. Romans in chapter 8, and verse number 34 says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God right now, who also maketh intercession for us. You say, well, no, 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 I, I go to a priest, and he intercedes for me. We don't need to. Because according to 1 Timothy chapter number 2, let me go ahead and turn over there real quick. It says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is mediating for us, and he is interceding on our behalf. That's his current ministry. There's one more reference, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Hebrews 7, 25 says, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He ever liveth to make intercession for them. So his current ministry right now is he is interceding for us. So tonight, when we go to the Lord in prayer as a church family, the Lord is interceding on our behalf. How does that all work? I don't claim to know everything about that, but it, the Bible says he is interceding. And I can be thankful for that truth. So he is interceding for us. Secondly, we've already mentioned this one, kind of. He is preparing a place for us. He's preparing a place for us. John chapter 14, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And it's a place for you reserved for you. Um, it's got your name written all over it. <laughs> um, I'm glad my name's Eric because um, someone, someone were to say, hey, did somebody lose a dollar bill? And I'm like, yeah, it's got my name written all over it because America is somewhere on that bill and I can find my name in there. Eric is in there. It's got my name written all over it. So yeah, it's mine. Um, okay, well, when it comes to Having a home in heaven, it's got my name on it. There's another verse. I don't have it in my notes. Let me see if I can find it real quick. I'm pretty sure I can. Maybe. Oh, I can't remember if it's 1 Peter or 2 Peter. Um, it's going to be in the first couple. Oh, man. You're all trying to find it now, too. You don't even know which verse I'm looking for. Ah, there it is. Okay, I found it. First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Okay, he's preparing a place for us. And, and by the way, a lot of us are looking forward to that. I, I am. But, but really, that's not going to be what makes heaven so amazing. You know, we're not going to go around going, man, check this place out. That, I mean, we may do that to a point, but 
really what heaven is going to be about is us worshiping the Lord and thanking Him for His redemption for, for all eternity. And you say, that's going to be boring. I mean, aren't we going to get tired of that? No. <laughs> that's going to bring us eternal joy to be able to do that. But here's what First Peter, uh, here's what Peter had to say about this. In uh, verse number three, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Do you love that? It's reserved in heaven for you. You know, how many times have you thought, uh, I don't, this may not have happened to anybody else, but you, you made a reservation and, and you go to the restaurant or wherever and you're like, yeah, Eric Johnson, party of two. Like, we have no record of any Eric Johnson. And I'm like, are you serious? Um, not, not cool. Okay, when you become a believer, you do have this inheritance, and it is incorruptible, it's undefiled, and fades not away, and it's reserved in heaven for you, and God keeps perfect records on the reservations. So you're not going to get to heaven, and he's not going to go, oh, ah, Jacob, let's see, Jacob, Baron, not seeing that. Uh, you sure you have a reservation here? <laughs> yes, he does, if he's believed on Christ, and I believe that he has. So uh, it's reserved in heaven for you, and, and it fades not away, and it's going to be awesome. So he's preparing a place for us. And uh, you think about, okay, so how long did the construction workers take to build your home that you're currently living in? You know, maybe, maybe a year? Maybe, maybe two years? Because they got stuck during COVID? <laughs> um, and maybe, maybe it took them a little while to build the house. But uh, how long has the Lord been preparing a place for us? More than a year. Been doing it for 2,000 years. Can you imagine the beauty that that is? So he's preparing a place for us. What else is he currently doing in our life? A couple more quick thoughts here. He is producing fruit in our lives. Well, I thought that was, I was supposed to produce fruit. No. Remember the memory verse for this month? I, I, I'm not living, it's Christ that's living in me. And anything that is produced it's, that's good, it's because of Christ who's living inside me. John chapter 15 is a reference on this, if you just briefly turn over there. John chapter 15. This is his current ministry right now. He's producing, he desires to produce fruit in each of us. Um, whether we are abiding in him or not, that's up to us. And when we do, then he's then able to uh, produce some fruit. John 15, verse number 1, I am the true vine, my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And verse number 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself. So you and I are the branches, he's the vine, and we can't bear fruit unless we're attached to the vine. 
Um, we have a, a peach tree that finally started producing fruit this year. And uh, I got to share some with, uh, with McCornacks. So I like them the best in the church. Uh, no, <laughs> they shared some with us and uh, some other produce. And I thought, you know, let's, let's bless them as well um, and thank them for their blessing us. But, you know, if we take those branches that produce those, those peaches and we removed them, we separated them from the, from the trunk of the tree, guess what's going to happen? They're going to stop producing fruit. Those branches need to be connected to the trunk in order for those branches to produce fruit. You and I, as believers, as branches, need to be connected and abiding in the vine, the trunk, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do that, then we can then produce fruit. See? Um, let's keep reading here. Um, as the branch, verse 4, cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, near the branches. He that abideth me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. You take that branch and separate it from the trunk. That tree, that branch is going to do nothing. Oh, you say, well, like, you, you take it off, and five minutes later, um, you know, it's not like the, tree, the, the leaves are going to, like, wither in, in an instant. No, it takes some time, and, and you and I, you know, if we're not spending time with the Lord, and we're not attached to Him, and really connected and close to Him, for a while it's not going to be that obvious, but over time it's going to become like, wow, they're starting to dry up, starting to get kind of deathly looking in their spiritual life, and they're going to stop producing fruit. That's what he's saying here. In verse 6, if a man, a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. And is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. And it goes on and talks in verse number 16 Ye have not chosen me, I have chosen you, and ordained you that ye should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. So, um, one of the things that the Lord's doing even now. In our own lives, as we abide in Him, He produces fruit, and, and the different types of fruit. He, uh, we, we have here in verse number, um, verse number 2, that we bear fruit. Verse 2, bring forth more fruit. And then we have in verse number 5 here, bring, bringeth forth much fruit. And then we have in verse number 16, um, fruit should remain. And uh, hopefully, we're all producing fruit that remains, and much fruit. And uh, we'll talk about this more at a later time, but that is one of the, the Lord Jesus' ministries right now, His present ministry, is He's producing fruit in our lives as we abide in Him. And then fourthly here, He is leading, cleansing, and gifting the church, His body. And for this, we'll go to Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, because... In the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul mentions all of these aspects to what the Lord is currently doing right now in the local church. He's leading, cleansing, and gifting the church, his body. All right, Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse number 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. 
Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. So he is leading. So again, just as a husband is to lead his wife, not the other way around. I know in our society there are a lot of women leading the homes. And to their, to, in their defense, it's because the men are not willing to take the leadership, and they need to. But it's, in, it's inconsistent with the design of God when a uh, wife is leading, the lady is leading the home. It ought to be the husband. He, he's the one who's supposed to lead the home, just as the Lord is to be the one leading the church. Now, how weird would it be if we as a church said to the Lord, okay, I know what you say, but we kind of know better. We're going to do our own thing. You know, hey, we love you and all, but you know what? We, kinda, we know how to reach this community better than you do. We know how to do church better than you. We're going to do our own thing. The, the bride, then, is taking the leadership over the bridegroom, and that ought not to be. So the Lord is supposed to, and, and He does lead the church, and uh, we would be wise to submit to it. And He uses that as an illustration to encourage wives to submit and follow the leadership of their husbands in the home. And uh, no, no husband ought to do it in a dictator, dictatorship but in a loving manner, just as the Lord uh, desires to lead us. All right, so he's leading. He's also cleansing. Verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I mean, how many brides go to their wedding day without, I mean, what is typically what, what brides do? I mean, they, they get like a mani and petty beforehand, right? I mean, I didn't get either of those. Uh, but, but brides do. They, they want to look their best, right? Because they're getting ready to uh, marry their, their bridegroom, their groom. So they get a bandy petty. They go get their hair done. They, they go get somebody to put makeup on their face. They don't want to just do it themselves. They get somebody who's like a beautician who does it like professionally. And, uh, and then they get this nice dress and, and uh, no kids are allowed around that dress because they, you don't want like... Snotty noses coming near that thing, you know. This thing is expensive, and it needs to look perfect for the wedding day, right? Um, and they just take great care to make sure that everything's perfect, everything's clean, everything's as good as it can be, because they're wanting to look right for their groom. Okay, one of the things that the Lord is doing in the church is preparing us for the day that we get to be presented to Him. Now, now none of us are going to be perfect and sinless, um, but we ought to be being cleansed so that we are going through that process because we are going to be uh, having that celebration with Him one day. So He's cleansing it for that purpose. And then He's also gifting the church. 
And this is found in uh, chapter number 4. So if you flip back a page or so in your Bible, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, let's look at what he's doing and gifting the church and uh, gifting us for the work of the ministry. Verse number 8 of Ephesians 4, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captives captive and gave gifts unto men. Okay, and then in verse number 11, And he, Jesus, gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So one of the things that he's doing is gifting people in this church so that we can effectively minister for the Lord's sake and for His glory. One of the things, one of my big passions and responsibilities as a pastor isn't just to do everything myself. Uh, But we are, verse number 12, to prepare and perfect the saints for the work of the ministry. Uh, my, My goal is to involve everybody in the church, that it's not just me doing everything, because I'm going to get burnt out doing that, just to be honest. And God has gifted you to do certain things within the church that I can't do. I cannot sing a special. Well, I could, and it would be really special. But the wrong kind of special. Um, And, you know, God has gifted many of you in that way, that he hasn't gifted me. And and we all are, are, are parts of the body, and we need to all serve together and fulfill our place in the body. And so as a pastor, I know sometimes it can be tempting to just say, you know, you know, I, I'm just, I could just do it. But that's not really going to help the church long term. We need to get everybody involved in working and, and perfecting the saints for the work of the ministry. And that what happens there is that it edifies the body of Christ. So uh, the Lord right now, He's in heaven, He's interceding for us, and He ever liveth to make intercession for us. He's preparing a place for us. He's producing fruit in our lives, and He's leading, cleansing, and gifting the church. So quite a ministry that he has there. And there's, I'm sure, many other things we could mention, but those are just four I wanted to highlight tonight and uh, just encourage you with what he is currently doing in our lives. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful for his current, present ministry in our lives. And uh, he's not just, what he did in the past is amazing, but he's not done. He's still doing stuff. By the way, this we're not even covering what he's going to do someday as he comes back to this earth to rule and reign, and uh, how he's going to be the light of heaven. I'm just kind of giving you some snippets here. But uh, his ministry is going to continue for eternity. And uh, I'm thankful for the fact that we get to know the Lord Jesus Christ because of what he did for us on the cross and rising again. Well, I hope that you're thankful for his ministry, past, present, and future. And uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Thank the Lord for that, and then we'll take some prayer requests uh, tonight. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your ministry and what you did for us in your earthly life and and coming to this earth, and then how you died on the cross for our sins and rose again. Lord, we're thankful for all of those and what they mean to us. 
But then, Lord, thank you for the promise that you're coming back for us, too. And, uh, Lord, we look forward to being rescued out of this life of sin and, and all the trials and tribulations. But, but most of all, Lord, we're looking forward to being united with you. And, uh, Lord, thank you for your ministry in our lives even now and how you're continually working in our life and preparing us and, and leading and guiding us. Lord, I pray we would be good followers and that we would, uh, we would uh, be submissive to your leadership in our life. And uh, Lord, we do look forward to what you have for us in the future and help us to be faithful, help us to be steadfast and unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord so that we will have confidence that you're coming and not be ashamed. Pray these things in your name. Amen.